week's action show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go to digitalocean.com and use the promo code Here's the Thing, all one word like you're slurring it, and spin up your own Linux rig for free. And Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and invest in your mind while saving some money. Welcome to Linux Action Show episode 420. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey there, Noah. Guess what? Huge show today. So you heard the news. Nextcloud. What the heck is it? Well, it's a fork of OwnCloud to tell you what went down with OwnCloud, what the heck Nextcloud is, because we're going to have Joss and Frank join us to answer our questions. We've been getting a bunch of questions into the show, too, and we'll throw some of those towards their direction. But that doesn't mean there's not news to cover. In fact, there are several big stories we'll be talking about in the news segment and the feedback segment. I'm going to cover probably... Something that upset most of you last week. I'm guessing, just based on the feedback. I'll respond to that. But before all of that, Noah, do you know what we've got? The picks! We've got the picks. We've got the picks this week. And uh, this is a fun one because I'm at home last night, you know, working like just a, a, like a, like a son of a gun on this show, slaving away, Noah. And I get, I get this text message from you. And like while I was working, <laughs> actually, I don't know if people know you do this because you're not partying. I'll play it for you, but here I'll show people what I'm talking about. I get this message, and I'm like, "What's he doing right now? What's he doing right now?" So uh, explain to people uh, what what they're seeing. No, what what are they so- seeing? So uh, basically what we do is well, one of the things that UltaSpeed does is we provide uh, installation, structure wiring, all that kind of things. Well, that has led to installation of PA systems and, and light systems and stuff in fraternity houses and event venues. And, of course, that then led to actually running that stuff. And, of course, if we're going to do it, we're going to do it on Linux. That's right. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, what and so basically what we've done is we have. Uh, three computers and there's actually there's a there's a short video clip, clip. all right so here's the rundown from still, Noah, on you. location control computer this is running 1204 and basically if we set on with the space bar are you gonna get me pulled down for country music dude i don't know will you hear that <laughs> yeah it's gonna hear that after that set it gets set in here then it keeps that that's pretty cool. So you're using the UI to control the lights. I'm turning it down so maybe hopefully YouTube is uh, is uh, graceful yeah. for us. Well, so basically that that front computer, basically every light in there, including the strobes, and there's a bunch of little cans. They're all addressed and then added to into that Linux computer. Then this one is actually the audio computer that is, of course, running mix, and I'm able to switch back and forth. Um, you know, obviously between music. That's that's actually yeah. paired to a hardware controller that sits underneath the the. Um, Underneath the the computer itself, so you know it, it's a little dark. You can't you can see the play button illuminated. But basically, I like you hardware I, controls. That's nice. Yeah, hardware controls are great and and a, and a necessity. And then of course over here, I've just got a tiny little laptop running Ubuntu Mate for uh, obtaining new music through Amazon, which they they kindly let you just download uh, anything and then uh, pay for it <laughs> once and then and you just yeah. own it. Um, yeah. But, you know, the, the thing is what I think what has gone to my head was, you know, last night we had people I had so many people coming up to the booth and they're looking at it and going, oh, this is amazing. Oh, this is incredible. I, uh, how, how is this working? How are you doing that? How are you doing this? And one guy tells me, he goes, we paid and then he gives me the amount of money. And he's like for for this for this DJ. And and he had like this fancy Mac thing and and all of these uh, special controllers and, and this this super special uh, <laughs> uh, hardware. And, and it didn't work half this good. And I'm like, yeah, so you you know what? 
you 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 people with your stupid you know fruity computer that are walking around hipster loving goobers wow yeah yeah go, okay. go stick your macbook in your ear i can do wow. that on linux wow i, I just, ugh, just I, I get so happy when i can do something just as well yeah. on linux as you can do on your piece of crap on with idj yeah. or whatever you by call you, it. by you you're not referring to me by the way, I want to make no, that clear. No, 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 no. Yeah. The, 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 uh, the other DJ. The, the, mythical, the, the mythical hipster who's challenging you with their shiny MacBook. That person. Right. Yeah. Okay. That guy. Gotcha. That okay. guy can go stick his MacBook <laughs> in his ear. Mix, by the way, super solid software, even if you just want to have a little music at home. I like that wedding, though. First of all, uh, it's my kind of wedding because the track that apparently was playing is called uh, something my country uh, – country ass or something like that i, I didn't yeah, see the my, oh. my country ass yeah. yeah kiss my okay uh and you know you got to run linux in an event like this because uptime apparently matters uh so at 1 30 a.m jb time which was what three in the morning uh 3 30 yeah, yeah uh, grand forks time noah sends me this clip here it's literally pouring rain <laughs> pouring rain so there is no top on that little parabola. I love that. No, so that's pretty cool. I won't play the whole clip. But that's, and then uh, the, the last thing that was kind of cool about that event was we get out there and there is no cell reception, like none, right? And so, I, well, I need internet to be able to download music, not to mention I'd like to just not not be not online. Yeah. So I'm like, hey, y'all have an internet connection? They're like, yeah, they actually just buried fiber. I'm like, great, I'm going to steal the run from that. And so we just <laughs> we strung a big cable out into the middle of this outdoor venue and just strung a, a, a thing in the, in the tree and threw an access point up there and boom, instant network. <laughs> that's nice. Nine one one Wi Fi. That's pretty good. So uh, sounds like it was a good event, and uh, I had no idea you were such a DJ. You apparently got skills. You should come you out should, here and uh, do some. You mixes. should watch the Linux Action Show because I believe we did an entire episode on this. Season. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to give you a hard time is you should come out here and do some mixes on the live stream. Yeah, you, for sure. Come on, come on. Where's your skills? No, let's hear your skills. That's All right. The, well, uh, we have so that's a that's a pretty fun runs Linux, uh, and we have a really cool cool. Um, desktop app pick that's sort of, I would say, kind of on point for today's episode of the show. Uh, we're going to be talking about NextCloud in a moment, and our app pick is somewhere in between, and you don't need a solution quite as uh, large or encompassing as OwnCloud or NextCloud. And it's something you might still want to host yourself, since a big initiative we have on this show is having your own data, protecting your own data under your own control with your own root access. And that's really one of the things that makes DigitalOcean a perfect fit with our show. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider that makes it super fast and intuitive to spin up your own Linux rig or FreeBSD rig on their great infrastructure. In fact, they just launched a new data center in India. But let me tell you a little bit about the basics. In less than 55 seconds, you're going to get started. That's incredible, spinning up a server in less than 55 seconds. Think about what that means for when you're just trying something over and over again. You want to destroy it and spin it up again. You want to destroy it and spin it up again. In less than 55 seconds, you can have a $5 a month rig with 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, because they is all SSDs, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. Think about that. That, for five bucks, is great. Plus, you combine that with their amazing intuitive interface, their great API, where there's already a lot of really solid open source code written around that API, some that we've written ourselves and some that DigitalOcean has written. And when you use our promo code, here's the thing. All one word, lowercase. Put it together like you're slurring it. You get that $10 credit. You drive that $5 rig two months for free. Also, they still got their block storage. Sign up and they got data centers in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Germany. Up there in Canads, they got it in Toronto. And like I mentioned, they got it in India now too. Check them out. DigitalOcean is a great place to go to spin up your own rig or 
to spin up an entire application stack. You want to try out NextCloud? You want to try out OwnCloud? Deploy it on a DigitalOcean droplet. Take advantage of their snapshots. Take advantage of all of the incredibly, really well-written documentation. See, that's something that's really unique about DigitalOcean, too, is they've really invested in their documentation with staff and with their community. It's really kind of an exceptional deal. DigitalOcean.com. Use the promo code Here's the Thing. That supports this show and gives you the $10 credit. And a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring Linux Action Show for episode 420. <laughs> now, Noah, you and I have, over time, although you're way worse about it than me, which makes just gives me lots of tickles, uh, have fallen into the Evernote trap. And like, and it's well, got wait you. A what do you mean? I'm way worse about it. Oh, than you're you. so whatever. You're so hooked into Evernote, dude. It's I haven't touched Evernote psh, in two months. Psh, two months, dude. You've got like ten years of history in Evernote. You got like yeah, that's true. Evernote but since is like Evernote your, came out. I've not logged into it once. It's like it's like Doctor Who in your Evernote. You walk into that thing and it's way bigger on the inside. It's crazy. <laughs> so I have to help you. It's my mandate while you're in this Evernote hiatus to swoop in and stop you from relapsing. And so to that end. I present you Turtle, T-U-R-T-L, at T-U-R-T-L dot I-T. Turtle lets you take notes, bookmark websites, and store documents for sensitive projects. From sharing your password with your coworkers to tracking research on an article you're working, Turtle keeps it all safe from everyone but those you share it with. And it's available for GNU slash Linux, 64-bit and 32s, Windows X64, Mac OS, Android, but not for iOS. So I thought you'd like it for that reason, too. Well, yeah, I mean, I was like, at any time we can screw Apple on something. But uh, I, I, here's the problem. Are we, uh, like, you're not actually trying to get me off a of simple note, right? Because no. I just got done, like, moving my no. whole freaking life on simple note. No, you know, uh, however, there's a lot of people that watch the show that are not happy with simple notes back end. Oh, yeah. And I think yeah, that's true. You know, yeah. but they still want something like Evernote. This yeah. is, I don't really think simple note is really an Evernote replacement either. I think if oh, you really? only really used Evernote for notes, it's totes. Evernote's for notes. It's totes a replacement. However, dude, one of the best features of Evernote is when I'm on the road traveling, I can take pictures of signs and it OCRs and GPS oh. tags it. And then I can that, – that, like the, the picture or business yeah. cards. I was taking pictures of business cards in Evernote before there was ever scannable yeah, I, or scanbot. I just or, use uh, – I use – I have a Telegram group for that. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, – I, I, can I take him? Am I allowed to step off camera and compose myself? OMG, OMG, OMG. I don't know what to do. Oh, you know what? I, I can't. I can't. No, I, I literally I can't right now. Okay. If I, you think I'm kidding, I'm not. I, I know. I know I you're not. That's why you. I can't. I can't with you right now. Okay. I'm in the middle of the show and I just can't. All right. Okay. <laughs> Noah. So, you know, maybe Turtle would work for you, actually. So there you go. Check it out. Uh, it's an Evernote killer and it's totes free. So when you're making your notes, you don't have to worry about it. I did read into their future funding about it. Uh, they have a premium tab here, and I kind of like the way they write this. I think this is kind of this, this kind of way to do it. They say the Turtle service is free, and in most cases, should work for most users. However, beginning soon, Turtle will launch a premium service that will include more storage and unlock various features in the Turtle apps. Which I think that's that's legit. I think that's pretty legit. Mm-hmm. Also. Mm-hmm. Um, they say, if you want the total freedom and security of Turtle without paying us, you're more than free to run your own Turtle server. So they make it clear right there on that page still. So they say, hey, you know, it's free right now, but at some point we're going to have to make money to stick around. But you don't got to worry about it. You could always run your own server. Mm-hmm. I respect the hell out of all of that. So I That's think really cool. Does it do collaborative editing? It does. I think I don't know if it does real time, though. I don't know about that. Okay. That because, would be well, huge. 
Well, because so th- that that's the only real problem I've had with Simple Note is using it yeah. in collaboration mode with you is because sometimes things don't quite sync up, mm-hmm. uh, and and that has literally caused a point where we had two entirely separate shows when we came into yeah. the studio on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, not today, but in the past. No, no, right, yeah. right, yeah, yeah. Uh, all right, so I have a feeling that you may have a solution for those of us who have looked at the Hughes lights and those types of things that are you know Internet of Thing type devices that you can control from your Echo. But right. it turns out uh, Internet of Things Thank was... Thank you for phrasing it like that. You're welcome. Internet of Things uh, came to Linux a long time ago with Q-Lite Controller Plus. That's right. So Internet of Butt is sucks, and you should never do any of that. So if you want to connect... If you want to, if you want to go and spend a lot of money on an LED light that you screw into a light socket, and then you have to... Actually, the hues are probably the wrong thing to pick up, because I don't. you don't actually have to activate those with the Philips no, site you, or anything. You can manage them over Wi-Fi if you want. Yeah, okay. That's what so I that, probably not a bad, so that's probably a bad example. But if you take like uh, all of these devices that are coming out like the the, sure. the doorbell thing Ring. and the uh, and the little drop cameras and stuff like that, all of those internet connected crap uh, that you have to rely on some back-end service to do. You actually don't need any of that and and it's particularly useful if you want to ru- make programs up that that, you know, for example, follow music. And Qlight Pro- Plus is actually or QLC Plus I think is actually a program that spun off of the original Qlight controller. But basically, they have added a bunch of really useful things, including uh, a, a tap to sync. So I can tap oh. on the space bar. You saw that in the, back in the Runs Linux segment. Um, but basically, I was explaining yeah, on the show how much I like modular systems. And so the advantage of something like this is anything that is DMX addressable is compatible with the QLC plus uh, software and so basically i can buy cheap little 15 dollar light cans and put them in and get started and then as my budget increases you know because you know when you look at small business the lowest uh, the lowest entry point means the, the 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 lowest cost means a wider spread and a wider spread means a wider return on interest and so the less money i can spend to get started the better but maybe as i'm mm. growing and i decide well i want more features or i want more channels or i want you know this that or the other then i can buy upgraded lights and because it's just a modular system i can unplug the inexpensive lights plug in the more expensive lights and everything in qlc plus will work awesome and i Previously, I was, I was, I, I actually I had to point this out. <laughs> I was running this, if you notice, on 1204, and it was running yeah. fan freaking dastically on my, on, on 1204. Um, and so, and you know what, I realized dude? I do, you would I, make I, such I a good Debian stable user. I know. Maybe I should check it out. But it, it, I, you know, I am. An, it, it is a it is a hardware appliance to me. I install the software and it just I open the software up when we do these events. I use it and then I shut it back up. They do now because previously they didn't. They do now have it updated for the latest versions of Ubuntu. So it is available on fourteen oh four. And I just tried it this morning on sixteen oh four. We have linked in the show notes a USB dongle that you can use that is natively compatible with Linux. So you literally plug it into the USB uh, port and it works. Now, I have had the, the the construction quality of these USB dongles is not the best. It's okay if you have it in like probably a club venue, something like that. But if you're like us and you're taking it on the road all the time, they tend to uh, take a lot of abuse. So I have just ordered a more expensive uh, professional grade <laughs> uh, USB controller. And I, I, was, I, I didn't have time to put it into practice because it didn't actually come until late last night. Uh, um, I, I, but I was playing with it before the show so I could give you some updates on it. I did get it to work. It just takes a little bit of tweaking. So once I have that uh, nailed down and I can replicate it and I make sure it works well and works with everything, uh, we'll probably do an update and, and I will get, give you a short little uh-huh. how-to 
how to get that working. And because the quality of construction is, is just a lot better. But if you need something, if you just want to get started and it's not terribly expensive, I think they're like 28 bucks. Um, we have that linked in the show notes. I like, too, that they specifically seem to be targeting the Raspberry Pi to some degree to really make this like an Internet of Things type solution. So I look you at know, this and I think this is probably not a Hughes like competitor like you're saying. If you want something mm-hmm. dumb, simple that just you, right. you know, use an app, this probably isn't your solution. Then again, if you have a few lights, you want to sync them up to music, uh, you mm-hmm. have even a home theater room, or in maybe our case, you're on location, exactly. say at Linux Fest Northwest, and you want to add some color to the wall behind you, this kind of, right. this, this is a killer, Noah. Yeah, and, and so what I did was I put a couple of these in my basement in the, in my workroom, and so basically um, I can turn I can I can set the mood or whatever to whatever color I want, or I can hit a button they all turn white. Mm-hmm. Um, and so yeah, it's been it's been really cool to play with, and uh, I there I have my eyes set on a really cool toy that I I'll show you sometime when we're not on the air. Oh, um, and maybe that yeah, because you never know, it could be something might be useful Whoa. for a certain event coming up, maybe next week. I follow you. I follow you. I follow. No. Don't tell him about the anniversary. Don't tell him about the anniversary. Oh, okay, okay, good. Mom's Nobody will word. ever figure out. Okay. Mom's X, the X word. The math. Mom's the word. Uh, yeah. All right. So that's cool. It's called. It looks like it's QLite Controller Plus, and the website is qlcplus.org. Uh, and they have uh, the Raspberry Pi information over there as well. If you actually wanted to go and roll your own Internet of Things solution that wasn't over the Internet, what a concept! You know what? We should t- we should coin a new term: LAN of Things. Right? I got it. It's, it's, it's Loit. I can shorten that up for you. Okay. Logical. Local objects. No, you, know, you don't have to think about it any more than that. Just logical. It is logical just to keep everything right in your house. Hmm. Doesn't need to go out to the internet. If you don't have to forward a port on your router, pass something intentionally through your firewall to your device, you're <laughs> doing it wrong. Okay. All right, there you go. So it's just simply logical. Can't argue logical. with that, Noah. All right, so if you want to see our past picks, go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash last picks, L-A-S picks, not last, but L-A-S picks, right? That's crazy. It might be out of date, though, so if you want to help us update it, it is a community project to keep that list current. But with the picks all done, let's do the news. The news in this episode is brought to you by Ting.com. Everybody wants to go to last.ting.com, las.ting.com to save yourself some money and support the show. You get $25 off your first Ting device or $25 in service credit if you bring your own device. Because here is the cool thing about Ting. Cool thing about Ting. No contract, no early termination fee, and you only pay for what you use. Minutes, messages, megabytes, girl, that's all you pay. It's ridiculous. Plus, Uncle Sam's going to get his cut because he gets his cut of everything. Have you noticed that? I have. (laughs) I've noticed it so much, Noah. I just, that Uncle Sam. But you know what? What's Ting going to do? You know what? They get it. You want to operate in our area? You got to do this. So Ting, they do it. But it's actually really simple. They break it all out for you, make it easy to understand. Everything about Ting is simple. It's just your usage. $6 for your phone line, and that's it. You got 10 lines? This is a great way to go. In fact, statistically speaking, if you have more than 10 lines, ain't nobody going to beat Ting. So that's great for small businesses. But if you got a family and just want to give somebody a line to use from time to time, Ting is great for that. And you know, one of the other great things about Ting, they got real human beings that answer the phone. I love that about them. They've doubled down on their, on their support there, which I think is great. Especially as they, as they have expanded, because they have GSM and CDMA. There's lots of coverage and lots of devices from really low-end, like, feature phones that just make, you know what, this thing called a phone call. 
I don't know. I don't do those. But some of you out there need something like that. And those feature phones are like hundred under a hundred bucks with no contract and you only pay for what you use. Mind blown. And then it just steps its way up from there, all the way up to the highest end devices you can buy directly from Google Play if you want, or just grab a nine dollar SIM, make sure it's got the right bands, pop it in there, and you'll probably be good to go. And you know what else? They have a fantastic community around Reddit, YouTube, their own forums, plus their community service and the outreach they do. It's a great company backed by two cows. Go check them out. Just go to last.ting.com. And then once you get yourself a fancy new device, perhaps an internet phone or perhaps one of those Google Freedom devices, you might want to try loading a couple of apps that Noah and I are going to recommend. Noah, you got a game that somebody can load on their newly minted Ting phone. It's called Brain It On. Yeah, so I, uh, I, I've, I've been looking for a way to kill time uh, as I found myself in a variety of highly boring situations. Like <clears throat> and airports? This is, it's, it's a physics <laughs> game. Basically, you basically draw an object, and the, the object weighs the same amount. And so, uh, you know, if I draw more of an object up at the top, it's going to weigh more. And if I draw that object, you know, if I, if, you know I, can draw, I can make a fulcrum or whatever. And then the idea is that you solve a series of puzzles. So tip a glass over or, uh, or you know, knock a hat off of a – off of a little thing or get that ball to touch the bottom of the floor. And, and basically, yeah, it it is. It's, it's pretty neat. And, and you have a certain amount of time to complete it and you have a certain amount of objects that you're allowed to draw. Um, And so it's a great way to kill a lot of time. And the nice thing is, is because there's, it's a lot of simple puzzles. I get bored really easy. If it's some like complicated thing, I have to sit there and figure out, but when it's something simple and I can just kind of like zone out, it's great. I love that. So mm-hmm. I want to talk about something I've been using. It gets, it gets lighter out, uh, you know, past like it's uh, past nine o'clock now. Um, and I'm trying to get my sleep back on track. So I've gone to bed recently kind of early. And one mm-hmm. of the things that I found was kind of difficult was just fully zoning out. And so I have this really nice app that I use to track my sleep. It works perfectly with my LG Watch R. It tracks my movement and my heart rate all night long. And then Sleep as Android, the app tracks my audio blips, uh, the weather, the temperature, all of the information it can get from the sensors. So I have a holistic picture of my sleep conditions every single mm-hmm. night so I can see how I'm trending, and it gives me long-term stats. That's not my pick, though, but that sleep is Android. It's awesome. This next pick, I think, comes from the same group, uh, and if not, it works in hand with sleep is Android. Really cool. And it's called Mindroid, or Mindroid, however you want to say it. And it is an audio-visual simulation device. I don't really like their video because I think it overplays the uh, visual aspect of it because it even works with cardboard. But what I really love about this is it's able to simulate some interesting binaural beat sounds. And if you're not familiar with binaural sounds, it's worth looking into. But it's a way that it's certain sound wavelengths that sort of soothe your mind to go to sleep. You can believe it or not, but it's nice to have. And what this application does is it combines it with any other background sound you want to combine it with. I'm a huge, huge nerd. I mean, you could do like farm sounds like sheep or a river or birds. Not Chris, though. I chose the starship mode. It has a freaking starship modes with small little starship sounds in the background. And it combines... That's totally you. Yeah, dude. And it combines binaural beats with the sounds of a starship. And I can set it to run for a certain amount of time, and then once it wraps up, and I can, you can, it has visual components too, but I'm only using the audio components. Once it wraps up and it finishes, because it does a nice ramp process, it intelligently ramps it to try to make it soothing. Once it's done, it automatically starts my sleep tracking app. So it's really cool. Uh, and they have different modes. So I use it for sleep, but they also have relaxation and meditation mode. Uh, and it's fascinating, and it's 
I think it's free. Let me see. I, I already installed it, so I don't think it's going to show the price. Uh, do you know how to show the price if you already have something installed? Anyways, I, I don't. But oh, I was going to look free, it up. It's free, and the pro it. version is two ninety nine. Uh, and if you, it really works best with headphones. I, however, because I also am having some ear issues, am not using my headphones. I have put it just on a really nice speaker set. And one of the things that I found that it does, the Starship mode with binaural beats, is it fills the room with audio. It make when you close your eyes, it makes the space feel huge, which is a neat trick when you live in an RV. So you close your eyes and you feel like you're in a ginormous, ginormous space. And I have found it to be very pleasant. So it's mind Now, here's a question for you. Does it require the internet to work? No, no, no. Okay. No, no. Out there, dude, I can't use anything that requires the internet. That's a no-go zone for me. Uh, I, I really have, I really appreciate the way it integrates with my sleep tracking application, but you can also use it completely standalone. You do not need to have one or the other. But if you do want a great sleep tracking application, Sleep is Android, and it integrates really well with wearables, which gives you an extra level of exact, precise measurement. Because there's a lot of sleep tracking apps out there for your phone that track, like, movements or when you're mm-hmm. – they'll put you – you put it on the bed, and it tracks when your bed moves. But if you have a significant other in bed with you, every time they move, it picks that up, too, and it, th- it throws right. off your stats. So have something tor- uh, tied to your wearable, especially ones that have heart rate monitors, actually gives you some really fascinating data – it's a really cool area to explore, and these are all available for Android. Um, and there are some other out there for uh, iOS, including one that's just a Star Trek background mm-hmm. noise generator. If you just want Star Trek noises, that's available for iOS. But Brain It On is Noah's uh, physics game, and Mindoid, or Mindroid, is uh, my uh, my. I think they pronounce it Mindroid. Yeah, I would think it's... This is my app, that's what I would call it, mm-hmm. Mindroid. Mindroid, but then there's only one D. Yeah. So it's like a mind with hemorrhoids. Anyways, uh, this is what I – so you asked me about the internet connectivity. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about Ting is legitimately where I live is the boondocks. If you've been watching the live stream, I was showing some video footage of it. It's, it's, a, it's a forest uh, on the edge of the ocean. It's like nobody has coverage out there because <clears throat> it's literally a Native American reservation and they do not permit cell phone towers to be built. So <laughs> I'm kind of out of luck as far as cell, uh, cell service goes. And before we just completely get off Ting, I just wanted to say that's actually one of the things I find very refreshing about Ting is because I'm only paying for what I use and I ended up living in an area that doesn't have cell service. I don't end up paying for that time when I don't have coverage. So even though I'm in a remote location, I'm not paying for like 800 minutes that I might use. And I'm not paying for like 15 gigs of data I may need that month or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Like I, I'm only paying for when I use it, which to me. Yeah, there's an opportunity cost that a lot of people don't realize. If, if it, it, you know, Verizon, AT&T, whatever, they're not giving you five gigs of free data. You're paying for that five gigs right. of free data. It's just if you don't use it, yeah. then, then there's no additional cost. Yeah. And if you go over that, then there's an additional overage cost. Right. Yeah. Ting just makes it simple. So go to last.ting.com. And a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Action Show. We'll get to Jason's email next week. Because I was between our epics. That was, that was a lot of good stuff to cover, though. So we had, we had to get into all that. And I really like that sleep app. All right. So let's jump into the news. Uh, and I want to start with a story that I think it's something that's important we don't lose track of, even though it's kind of a downer. And that's Ars Technica's write-up they did over here at a seven-month-later look at Valve Steam Machines, which to them, they say, look dead in the water. And I kind of agree. I mean, there's not a lot of buzz going on about these uh, Valve Steam Machines. And, I, you know, at first I thought, well, these are 1.0 products, but I would expect – you've got to iterate fast in this marketplace, at least I think. Uh, so it looks like, according to some back-of-the-napkin math they've done, which take this math with big old grains of salt, they project about 500,000 sales 
About 500,000 sales. So it's been about seven months since Valve officially got into the hardware business with its Steam machines. A line of Linux-powered gaming console PC hybrids paired with a unique dual touchpad Steam controller. That's from ours. Uh, today, we're getting our first concrete glimpse of the impact the hardware has had on the wider market for gaming machines. And the numbers don't look good for Valve. Now, here's how they got the math, I think. Uh, as part of an update on the new Steam controller functions, Valve announced it has sold over 500,000 Steam controllers. Now, that's since, that's since November. They confirmed to ours that this number includes controllers that were packaged with every branded Steam machine that was sold through Valve's store. So if you put it together and you look at some of the math, they say there has been less than half a million Steam machines sold over a span of more than half a year. Which is probably accurate. Uh, half a million might not sound like a bad sales number <clears throat> for a brand new hardware platform, which is probably what Noah's thinking right now. But it starts to look pretty tepid in the context of a wider gaming market. Both the PlayStation 4 and Xbone sold over a million consoles in their first day on the market in 2013. You know, I think the reason for this is is that there is no exclusivity inside of the of the of the of the steam box i think that is really where the issue is so if i think about all the people that i know that lined up to buy uh the whatever the microsoft thingy is and whatever the sony thingy is they they do so because there is a specific game that they want to play or a specific series of games that they want to play that are only available on that platform and if you think about what the steam box is in and of itself you're essentially paying for a gaming PC that's put into a home theater case and and then upcharged because somebody else built it for you and is selling it. And I don't think that I don't know what the target audience is for I'm that. I'm not hundred percent sure that characterization is true. Okay, where is the target audience? Because the PC gamer, the traditional PC no, gamer. No, what, what I mean is, I think it actually is mm-hmm. more of an appliance like experience than either you and I. Who wants that? Well, console gamers do. Okay, so, all right, so follow me on this. Console gamers want that experience. So what console games are not already available on the consoles that people are already familiar with and already have bought into and all that good stuff? What games are better on the Steam machine than they are on any other console or available only would, on the Steam I machine and not on another console? I would argue there's a lot more interesting and fun games that I enjoy playing on Steam than there are on consoles. I don't own any of the but modern... you're not a console gamer. Right. Exactly. But so you just said that the, the target audience is console gamers. Oh, I follow so, you. So I guess let me refine that because you're right. Yeah, that doesn't make sense. What I'm saying is people who want a really simple console-like appliance experience. So for me, I if I say I wanted to get – here's the scenario where a Steam machine makes sense for me instead of something I would just build myself. I want to get something for the kids, number one. Okay. Or number two, I want to have something at home that – is very simple to use. So if we look at the clock and we say, hey, you know what? We got 45 minutes before we got to leave. Let's kill some time playing games, kids. I want to press a couple of buttons and I want us to be playing games. I don't want any other experience than that. And I want that 100% of the time. I had uh, issues where uh, my Chromecast this weekend just quit working. I, I don't know why. Everything was online. The Wi-Fi was working. And yet my phone could not see the Chromecast. And I had a video I wanted to play that I just simply couldn't show the kids because for whatever reason at that point in time, the both, both devices on the same Wi-Fi network, both devices recently rebooted as a troubleshooting, and neither one of them can see each other. And even that, which gets so close to that appliance-like 
feature set wasn't close enough because then you know right. one out of five times now I've gone to use the Chromecast it hasn't worked and that's that's yeah. too high of a failure rate. So if right. Valve has truly nailed this, I plug this box and I put power in Ethernet and HDMI. And I press a power button and it comes up with a wizard. I answer some questions. I'm in big picture mode. And now all those games I love on my machine, including the ones I'm playing over Link, are now available on my TV. And I think that's – if that sounds appealing to you, if something easy that's shareable with the family and you prefer games on the PC platform – then I think a Steam machine makes sense. I don't think that our I don't think that that audience exists, or at least not at any scale. A a, a audience that wants a pre built machine that also likes to play because by, by the very nature of being a PC gamer and and being and liking the games that are on the you know the PC gaming platform, by that very nature, most of those people want to build and customize their own machines, and most of those guys could care less about a buy pre-built box that is already configured appliance-like deal. In fact, really what you're describing to me sounds more like a Steam Link. I'm a gamer. I have a box. It's really powerful. I put a lot of time, money, effort, customization into it, and now I just want to let my kids play Race the Sun on the TV. Yeah. That seems like a really, really... I agree. That was where I was going to go with this. I think the Steam Link is probably the product we should look at. I think that's the one that's selling, and and I think that's a really really good point because I think the Steam Link turns out to be more competitive than the steam machine uh at its current at a current iteration but take this let's say let's say valve goes all out and goes and approaches a triple a title and says we want you to release the next version of your game or, or somehow sign some sort of an exclusivity agreement with them where that is only available on the Steam machine, yes, Valve says they're not going to do that, though. I know they're not, and that good for them. Good for them Here's, for not trying to. So, but but if they did that, that's I think how you would start to get people over there. The chat room is kind of following my line of thinking on this because I think this could happen. What you're saying organically, Valve doesn't mm-hmm. even have to push the buttons. I I hope, and I don't know, but it's possible that Steam VR could be a killer feature that the consoles just can't keep up with. And if the yeah. Steam VR ecosystem and the games around Steam VR and all of the cool applications of it benefited from the open nature of a PC platform, i.e., adding cards, extra slots for uh, for sensors, uh, extra uh, headset support, uh, high speed Ethernet, so you can do great video conferencing in VR, uh, multi core Intel CPUs. If these right. kinds of things turns out to be major wins for VR applications. And VR turns out to be actually a thing (laughs) that people in the consumer market want, then I think the Steam machines could be really well positioned. But that's a big what, maybe, and what if kind of scenario that, eh, who knows, may never happen. there is an argument to be made there because the overhead to implement something like that on on because basically what they're doing is they're letting all they're letting the PC industry do all their heavy lifting for them. Right. And then they just implement these things inside of a box. And so Valve as a company really doesn't have to do a whole lot other than just track what the industry is doing and then implement those things. That's going to be much more difficult on the Xbox or the PS4 because it's a custom operating system. It's a custom box. And like you said, there's no it's a huge there's product. No, it's not really built for any sort of expandability. They're using PC parts, right? So I, I think there, I think that is, uh, I think that is a viable uh, path. I just think that that's pretty niche and that, a lot of hopes and prayers have to come through for that. Time, All right, so let's talk r- real talk here for a moment, Noah. Uh, seven months later, Valve Steam machines look dead in the water. That's the headline. I I think I might have said, you know, if 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 Steam machines and Valve just completely flop, and this goes a direction where Valve says, I, I don't I don't think we're doing this anymore. We're gonna pull out of Steam machines. We're still gonna invest in Linux for our, to, to run our Link. Um, we'll we'll keep the Steam OS, uh, the Steam client around for the Linux desktop. If developers want to target that, 
good on you. We really appreciate that, but it's just not going to be a feature or a, a, a platform that's a featured focus for us. We're going to mm-hmm. go back to what works for us. Is that is that a nuclear bomb being dropped on Linux gaming for every every news story that'll be spun from that? Every developer will just yeah. every developer that never wrote a, a Linux game will say, "See, that's why. Told you all. I told you so. That's why. You see, this is why yeah. you can't have nice things. And it's, yeah. it, won't this be just so a disaster?" Yeah, no, I, I agree that it will get spun out of control, you know, especially, man, geez. Uh, but I'm not entirely convinced that that it's, a, it, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's a nuclear bomb on Linux, if only because I think the people that were in the Linux marketplace when Steam came to Linux, I highly doubt any of them were doing that, uh, predicated on this idea that the Steam box is going to fundamentally shift the entire gaming revolution over to you know, these Linux powered gaming rigs. I think people like me and you were hoping for that. Um, but I don't know that game developers necessarily care. I think they try to stay a little bit agnostic. However, uh, I do think that it, what you're talking about, how all these places are going to pick up and say, I told you so. See, that didn't work. See, this is prima facie evidence of why nobody should ever develop games on Linux. I think that is absolutely going to happen. And that's a real shame because as I think we can all agree, this is a chicken or the egg thing, right? Developers don't put their apps on Linux because they say there aren't any users and it won't get picked up and developers or users and there's no people on Linux because their games aren't there. And we just go around in this vicious cycle. I wanted to touch on a couple of trends, too, that I've been noticing in the news uh, before we get out of here. While Before we move completely off Valve, we should mention that uh, the Steam controller is on sale right now. <laughs> just kind of uh, good timing on their part, I guess. Thirty four ninety nine on Amazon at the moment. So if you guys want to pick one up, uh, we don't. We don't have an affiliate anymore, but you can go search for the Steam controller, and uh, might as well pick one up. I, I have one over here. It's not bad. It's not bad. Um, have you played with it? Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah I played have. with it at System 76, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's not so bad. So I wanted to talk about something that's not directly Linux-related. Uh, here, can you see it in this shot there? Mm-hmm. Uh, but have, you've been noticing this. It's been happening to uh, friends and family of mine. It's been happening to people in our audience. Windows 10, like when it was like when it was in the early like release phase, the hype was so strong for Windows 10. When we did our review, I, I felt I almost felt like I was trying to de-spin some of the uh, excitement that was coming out of the Silicon Valley journalists. It just felt it felt unfounded. Like, where's Cortana now? Remember all of the talk about Cortana? Remember what a big deal Cortana was? And like, where's yeah. where, nobody's using Cortana? Um, but this, oh, the people that don't oh, hold on a second, the people that don't know that they inadvertently turned it on, those people are using Cortana. Uh, this story really got me. You probably saw it. it's been all over the web, and I want to talk about it in the context of how it may be bringing people to Linux. But I'll just give you the parameters first. Uh, this is a post on Reddit. I live in Central African bush. We pay for slow satellite internet per megabyte download. Just one of our computers, one has secretly downloaded 6 gigabytes for Windows 10. We track and coordinate anti-poaching rangers in the field with these PCs and GPS. F you, Microsoft! And uh, they went into an AMA. It caused them quite a bit of problems. Uh, they said they were completely livid about the issue. Um, wow. So aside from the fact that they pay per megabyte and they already have a slow connection as it is, if a forced upgrade had happened and crashed our PCs while in the middle of coordinating rangers under fire from armed militarized poachers, Blood could have literally been on Microsoft's hands. I just came here recently to act as their pilot, but I have IT skills as well. The guy who set these PCs up didn't know how to prevent it or that it had a metered connection. I'm completely livid. That's got to be switching people. Good. Good. That's what you get when you use Windows. Good. 
No, I no, I'm I'm kidding. But the, you know, the reality is is that this <laughs> this kind of attitude of like we know better than you do, and so this is what you want. Mm-hmm. I have been, you know, the, the amount of Windows PCs that we support are slim to begin with, and of those, those clients agreed when we onboarded them that they would let us make the decisions about their IT infrastructure. Um, and so, you know, as soon, you know, as we might, we're slowly moving those people off of those boxes, and even even at that scale, this has been a nightmare. It wasn't actually this week that it was a nightmare, but like two weeks ago just unbelievable it would create it would try to start this update and if you tried to cancel it it would create this box and say that you stopped the windows 10 upgrade you need to continue and there was no way to get out of that box the box is just there um and so i i and i I later found out there are some tools that you can go through and click what we ended up doing was just blowing the machines away and and redoing uh putting it back on seven and then just shutting Uh, off windows updates temporarily mm -hmm. until we could install all these patches to keep but it just it is a nightmare and it, it is unbelievable to me it is it is it is comical and unbelievable to me that people look me in the eye with a straight face and tell me how funny they think it is that we put linux into production inside of businesses because windows is so much better suited you know I, that's funny i will just touch on this briefly because I, I mentioned it too much but one of the main advantages to people who need predictability out of the tool that is their computer one of the main advantages to Linux and open source is that you have insight into the roadmap and secondary. And I think this, yeah. this is the big thing you can drill home to people if they're thinking about trying Linux. There's no strategy tax. There's, Microsoft yeah. is simply forcing this Windows 10 upgrade down everyone's throat so that way their numbers look good and they're not mm-hmm. competing with their previous versions. Redmond hates competing with their previous versions. That's exactly what the problem is here. This is something that is internalized in them. They hate it. They hate the fact that the most popular versions of the, of the software they're competing with are their own previous versions of Windows. So they get right. people to upgrade. They have new platform features. They have new security features. They have all of the things that make Windows 10 ready for the next decade. And so they yeah. have to, everybody has to be on Windows 10. This is a strategy tax. And this is not something most Linux suffers from. There are certain distributions, you could argue, that certainly suffer from strategy taxes. But as a whole ecosystem, this is where Linux is way better. And this gives you long-term predictability for a platform. They still have people on XP, and they begrudgingly drove those people off of XP onto 7. Right. Now they're begrudgingly dragging those people off of 7 onto 10. And, and it's, here's, it's, here's not like seven, it's not like 7 is going to ex- support expires tomorrow. They've got years of support left. Here's what's interesting to me is that first they try to offer this as an upgrade for free. So we won't charge you at Windows 10. Okay, that just tells you how much uh, how desperate Microsoft is to get those people on 10 to begin with. And then when that didn't work, they went, hey, guys, Windows 10 is such a great operating system. It's mandatory. Yep. Okay, so last week we talked about OwnCloud and some of the troubles there. This week, NextCloud was announced, and OwnCloud announced it was closing its U.S. offices. Major stories around all of this. So instead of covering it here in the news segment, we thought it would be best to go right to the horse's mouth. So we've brought on Frank and Joss to discuss what's going on with OwnCloud and NextCloud. So let's go chat with them. That's all the news for this week. Last week, we covered some upset going on at OwnCloud, and during the week, big announcements came out about a brand new project, a fork of OwnCloud called NextCloud, and two of the people behind that project are joining us right now to tell us all of the inside scoops, details, and questions you have been asking. So before we go to them, I want to thank Linux Academy. Please go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged to get our discount and support this show. Linux Academy has a whole range of courses, from really deep courses that are hours and hours long with comprehensive study guides, virtual 
servers that spin up on demand, testing you can do in real time. Also, on the other side of the spectrum, they have nuggets, tiny bits of sparky, wonderful, sparkly wisdom from experienced sysadmins and DevOps. Just real quick deep dives into just, wow, they even have some Azure on Linux stuff now. Holy smokes. Look at that. It is 2016. Go over to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged and check them out. They have 2,466 videos with their self-paced courses that have audio and PDF downloads, nice guides, scenario-based labs, instructor mentoring is available, which is great for this type of courseware, and graded server exercises. That is one of my favorite features. They've got great, great courseware on the, all of the Red Hat stuff. DevOps, that's like a gray category, like a, a nebulous, like going to the Mutara Nebula and hoping that Khan can't u- detect your sensors and is only using uh, two-dimensional thinking. You go into DevOps and you think like Spock. You go three-dimensional. they got Android development, PHP, Python, OpenStack, Ruby, Amazon Web Services, which is its own beast. And did I say Android? Because I just did. Linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Go check them out. Thanks to everybody who supports the show by visiting that. And anything really we've ever talked about, you know, we're talking about today, hosting your own server instance of your own data. Guess what? All the technology that OwnCloud and NextCloud use is built on technology stacks you can learn about right at Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. So we brought Frank and Joss on. And the first question I had for them is, hey, guys, welcome to the show. And what should I actually say? Which organization, what group? Are you from now? Yeah, sure. Um, so as you might have heard, um, Nextcloud is something that is the result of, um, of a fork, basically, or a reboot um, of own cloud. So um, several or core, or most of the, of the core um, engineers of own cloud, the company, but also a big part of the community, um, we forked own cloud into a new project um, and also a new company. So to answer your question, it's both. Uh, called Nextcloud. So it's a combination um, of both. The, the company is something that is um, is a new company. It's set up um, or run or, or funded by a good friend of mine, long-term friend of mine, Niels Mache. He's one of the co-founders of, of Red Hat Germany at the time. And nowadays he's running Spreet, me, an open source web RTC-based system. So maybe in the future we can actually use a hmm. free software for absolutely. For that would uh, be nice. So, um, Frank, uh, can I ask you, was uh, he involved with OwnCloud, too, or is this his first involvement with this project? No, this is new. This is new. Well, the box that they Oh, that's, that's true. Yeah, he was actually um, also um, selling or building and selling a box called a Spreet box, and this was this contains um, OwnCloud for a long time. So that's already, that's true, yeah, some, yeah. some involvement in the... In the, in the community. So we actually report on this in December that so, so Spreet, uh, open source web RTC based video conferencing, uh, basically open source Skype. Um, and they created this box. They did it via a Kickstarter that was successful to create this really cool looking aluminum cube, which in it has, um, well, a little, you know, little board, you know, a Raspberry Pi like device. It's uh, something else. I think it's an Outroid. Um, and that ha- runs. Home cloud and Spreet. So it, the idea is like if you're working together with other people, you know, conference call uh, or you're giving a training or something, you know, it's you need to be able to also show files and share files and work together on stuff. And sure. that's why they integrated Home cloud. So yeah. I want to ask, uh, just so we have everybody who's watching follow along, um, 
what happened to OwnCloud, Frank? I, I think you were there for, was it eight years or so? Uh, Joss, I think you've been there for, what, at least a year, I think? I yeah, can't remember. Three. What happened yeah. and, uh, yeah. and, and why, why NextCloud? So, so just quickly, maybe to, to finish the answer to the earlier question, but the NextCloud is actually also a community. So it's something that is also a big open source community. Um, and we guess, looking at the response we get, which is a lot. Um, and this is also like an independent community in the future will run by an independent foundation, which holds the trademark and is really, really independent. So, um, but to your question about um, about OwnCloud, well, yeah, I founded OwnCloud like six, a little bit over six years ago, co-founded the company a little bit over four years ago. Um, Yoss is uh, working together with me on community stuff. So it's all good. I mean, we had a nice, it's, 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 it's really successful. I mean, the latest numbers, we have like a thousand contributors contributing to that. Um, so it's, it's really nice. Obviously, OwnCloud is a nice, nice product nowadays. So it's all good. Um, unfortunately, there are also a few things that were, were not so perfect, a few things that we can, um, we think we can improve, make better. And this is like, for example, um, with Nextcloud, we want to do that. And this is like, for example, we will kill the contributor license agreement. I think this is a big one. The CLA. The CLA, yes. So there will be no CLA. So which we, there's a lot of feedback we got from people saying, yeah, this isn't a great project, but I don't want to sign a CLA because, I mean, you know, right, there's a lot of controversial discussions in the open source space about CLAs, if they're good or bad. And we think that it's good to have no CLA. Sure. And also like the full, like, the full development, I mean, the, the, the planning and all the, the roadmap and then all the, all the basically the process, everything will be in the open. This is also something we want to make better. And as I said before, um, we will create an independent um, foundation which holds the, the trademark. Um, so it's really, really like a bit better balance between the community and the company yeah. as, as before. Can I? Uh, yeah. Oh, go ahead, uh, yeah, I, I, well, I think I think it's important to realize this isn't just about uh, making you know doing better on purely open source you know kumbaya side of things. Uh, the thing is that you know this will also allow us to do a better job for customers and users. Hmm. You know, the thing is, you know, we want to build an ecosystem, yeah, like OpenStack. You know, multiple companies working together, or Linux kernel itself, yeah, so that. Um, you can actually do everything as a whole community that people want and need and do it all properly rather than being limited by what, you know, some investors for one company understand, right? rather so, than having one company being the limiting factor, sure. you know? Joss, are you yeah. saying that uh, you feel that this new arrangement is sort of removing restrictions that was forcing you not to maybe handle a customer situation the way you want? Am I, am I yes. tracking? Is there a certain... Calendar and the contacts app. Yeah, these apps were super popular, not only with users, but we also had customers asking and saying, look, you know, we want support for these apps. Yeah. But that is hard to explain in certain venture capital. Right. Okay. No, I want to give you a chance to jump oh, in. Yeah, I, I wanted to ask, you know, you, you talk about, um, you know, NextCloud is going to follow a separate, you know, a different roadmap. And are there specific technical issues that you are aware of um, from OwnCloud that are going to be changed in NextCloud? Well, I don't know if you want to call them technical issues, but it's a bit in a similar direction as you said. There's just, uh, I think with OwnCloud, we were a little bit like, um, like, in, we were put into a box called enterprise file sync and share, 
which is like a category that exists like between analysts and, and venture capital areas and with customers. But I think we can do a lot more, like as you said, with calendar context. But another thing I want to mention is like the street knee integration itself. So Niels Mache, our partner here, as I mentioned before, obviously has this open source project called Spreed Meet. It's open source uh, Skype, basically. And this is also something that we are going to integrate into Nextcloud. So in Nextcloud, you will have like full video conferencing and chat and, 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 and call functionalities. And this is one of the things which I find interesting because I don't care <laughs> if this is something that usually puts, uh, fits into a product like that. It just makes sense. It's like it's like we hear this from from users that want to do that. The same with the calendar. Are we grouped there? No, we're not really grouped there. But it makes sense to have a calendar in there. So I don't know if you if this answers your question about technical changes. But we want to basically broaden the broaden the the the, the goal and direction a bit because, as you said, with this ecosystem, it. It's a, it's a platform. This is a platform. This is why it's so important. A lot of people can contribute and they can build all kind of different functionalities and things on that to build something that is really, really useful. So as you guys are reading the reaction, I, I mean, you've probably seen some of the reaction that I've seen. And some of that is, well, great. This is a chance to, to reboot. Let's get rid of PHP. Let's drop C-Sync and let's go whole hog with something new. And uh, that's not really what this is about, though. And do you guys want to address that at all? Because I have seen that yeah. as a common point. So very, very important for us, very, very important, probably the most important thing is a smooth transition. And this is like, this is the same for the contributors, for the users, but also the, the customers who will use like the professional version of that in the, in the, in the, in the enterprise. And because of that, we will not like tomorrow change everything. Definitely not, because it would mean a complete break and then nothing works for a few years and then we put those pieces together and maybe in the future it's better or not. I think this is a bad idea. So in the, it will be a smooth transition, which means in the first few days and weeks, it probably looks a lot similar than own cloud. But the thing is, as I said before, with the open process, that more people can bring in ideas and, and, and features and can pull requests more open and so on. Well, then who knows, right? I mean, uh, that's sure. <laughs> the sky's the limit. If someone wants to do a complete architectural change, obviously in open source, the rule is who codes decides, right? <laughs> so yeah. if someone kind of comes in and contributes a huge architectural change, yeah, of course, that's yeah. possible. I wanted to but, ask you guys you about... Have some concrete ideas, actually. Um, I mean, there has been already some blogs about that. For example, yeah. like, I think it's important if you want what we want to do, which is build an ecosystem... You need to make sure that the fundamentals are right, as in stable and reliable. So one of the things, for example, we want to address, which is a sticking point for a lot of users and customers and contributors, is the upgrade process. Yeah. And there's there's blog post on, you can go to nextcloud.com slash news. Uh, you'll find a blog post there that addresses basically a number of issues that we have with the updating process that we want to address. And, and, and rather than you know, focusing on the last things that, that look good for, again, in the old setup, let me put it that way, yeah. you know, we can now get a lot of these fundamentals right and like spend that. some and effort on these things. So I wanted to, Josh, I wanted to ask you about uh, the way some of this went down publicly and how, how much of that is, is sort, of, uh, a, a, a sort of a slippery slope because uh, you want to sort of give an air of confidence to people who want to migrate to Nextcloud. So it started by you know, seeing several key people leaving, obviously yourself and Frank leaving, uh, and, and then a bunch of other people leaving. 
And very quickly, it seemed like you guys moved very, very much, I would say, uh, nimbly to, to get NextCloud up and running. How much of that is because you're really trying to hit the ground running and, running and move over to something clean versus a lot of people are interpreting it as there's something they're not telling us here. There's a big secret here. Can you, can you give us any light on the process of how this went down and why it went down that way? I, I, I don't know. I don't know there's been a big secret or conspiracy or anything. It's just that some people, including yours and me, but like it's, as we mentioned before, it's actually a significant part of our core developer community, just thought that, um, well, this can be done better. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. We've been trying to change these things for a long time. Yeah. And at some point, you've been running in the wall for so long that you say, okay, this doesn't work. Yeah? And things weren't getting better, let me put it that way. So we had good reasons to leave. I just don't think it is nice to to make this, yeah, personal. Were you surprised by how hard the response was from OwnCloud? Uh, they say that today's announcement by former colleague Frank was uh, as that he intends to launch a competitive product to OwnCloud into a market using recently poached developers because developers are game that you can poach uh, yeah. and that has surprised us and disappointed us. They go on to say that as a response, their creditors are laying off their U.S. staff effective immediately. Very, very fast uh, chain of events, very strongly worded, some might say, bitter post. And I'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that and if, if this was expected as sort of an unfortunate fallout of this. So... Um, in a way, yes and no. I mean, as you said before, it was clear that a lot of things were not not great. Um, so it was foreseeable that something is not going into the right direction there, and this is also why we decided to well to reboot that. The fact that it happened so fast was a surprise, yes. Mm-hmm. But I mean. It was clear, and as you said, it's. I think it's good start to go into details, but it just things didn't work out in the area as we thought it would. So it was again, as I said before, a few things were basically going, um, yeah, yeah, just not great. Now I saw I saw a series of tweets from you that you, you where you expressed that you were surprised at the at the fragileness of the situation, uh, yeah. but also you seem to imply that there may be a solution for some of those. Is that still something that's on track? Yeah, so that's actually a good point. It's actually that um, what we are trying to do here. This is not just a hobby project of a few volunteers. I mean, hopefully also a hobby project and fun and also volunteers, but not only. Mm-hmm. So we actually were able, as I said before, with our partner, um, we're able to um, basically have a really good foundation of that, put it under basically a good solid um, structure behind it so that we're actually able to, if someone wants to wants to work full-time on NextCloud, that we actually have significant funds to make this possible. And this is basically this is the, the case for um, for our ex colleagues, but also for completely new people. So we have the funds of basically hire a significant mon- a number, really a significant number of uh, full time people to push Nextcloud forward. So we're in a 
in a good position here. So we hope that that's good. That's great. That, that is before, well, the smooth transition is the most important thing. It's also for colleagues, right? Yeah, yeah, we definitely. never meant people to end up on the street. We want to reboot. Yes. Do yeah. things different than better. Yeah. Build yeah. something that's less fragile. We this time we have something that is a lot more solid. Yeah. That is not continuously on the edge, but has a you know serious somebody with a long term vision here. Yeah. Right? Niels has been doing this for a long time, running Spreeds uh, earlier than, as, as Frank said, Red Hat Germany. And Spreed is a very healthy company already, and it's doing really, yeah. really well. That's great. Right? And we're going to work with that and grow together with that. That's that's reassuring to hear. So, okay, I, I want to, before we zoom out completely about all of this, I want to I ask you about what I see as really the long-term problem you're going to face. Uh, and that is this. This seems like a storm that will pass, and the cards are likely going to fall in the direction of Nextcloud because it seems to be an obvious choice. But that's amongst us, those of us who know. But when uh, I I look out at the general trends, you know, one of the things that's definitely impressed me about OwnCloud. There's only a few open source projects that really reach the status is damn near average consumer level knowledge. Not quite that level of penetration, but. Every single VPS out there has a one-click deployment of OwnCloud. Every distribution has a guide on how to install OwnCloud. There's a solution everywhere. And, you know, I took a look at the Google trends, which, you know, you know, take them for what they are. But holy smokes, you guys, starting about mid-2011 until right up till now, OwnCloud is on fire. That is trending like almost no other open source project. Uh, and yep. so how now will you manage to get some of the mind share from the name and the brand and just the trust with the words own cloud over sure. to next cloud i think i think at the end of the day and man just i will be involved in open source for a long long time at kde at the time in your case in open i think at the end of the day at the end of the day you get this momentum with a great product mm. I think if you have a great product, then you have happy users. If you have a user, you have a lot of contributors. If you're a company, maybe you have customers. And then you also have this uh, Google Trends chart. And it all boils down to a great product. And this is, I think, we are in, a, in the best position to do that because we have the core people. We have the core people on board. And actually, another thing I wanted to, wanted to mention is that we got such an overwhelming response the last few, few days. It's just amazing from people really really like this idea and this comes from users obviously they're asking us hey okay this is great okay, where can i download it and then yeah. oh, okay it's just two days old but okay and then also from contributors talking about two days you already have people contributing to it you already have people yeah. building like virtual machines around it building like porting their, their news um, apps over and there's lots of People only want to contribute, and also from from, from customers, they come to us and say, "Hey, hey, this all sounds great. All the things that that we mentioned before that are better. Um, basically, we want to work with you guys." So we're actually really seriously blown away by that. Yeah. And because of that, we were actually wanted to um, move faster forward than what we planned in the past. I think when we announced it on Thursday, we we we, we published a plan which said, "Okay, we will do the first release in July, early July." But the way it looks like, all the stuff that's already coming together, and I said a lot of the contributors, we actually think that we can have the, the first Nextcloud release this month. Hey. Just a few weeks. Wow, that is some good momentum. Yeah, uh, and, you know, and this is the first release. I mean, there's already so much so much um, planned with the, with the with video con- integration, with the calendar contact integration, and so many ideas, and people are already working on that. Mm-hmm. And I think 
we have such a great and honestly better product very soon mm. and i hope you can also then see this in the in the google trends chart right yeah. well and i look forward to trying it joss I, I had a question specifically to you while we're sort of on the topic of momentum for a new open source product or project mm. Uh, there's a lot of good indicators here. And I think something that maybe the audience might appreciate is if we zoomed out just for a moment and talked about some of your, both of your open source background. But Josh, why don't we start with you just so we get some context. I mean, this isn't really your first rodeo. This isn't the first time you've been working on an open source project. You have, both of you have experience here, but Josh, you give us a little bit of your experience and also how, you know, forks like this happen in that context, that kind of stuff. Well, uh, there are, of course, some other projects that have gone through similar things, right? I mean, a very well-known example is, of course, LibreOffice. And I already um, talked to people there, right, from Collabora, um, about their experiences and how that went. And they pointed me to the um, Google Trends chart comparing Apache OpenOffice and just OpenOffice with LibreOffice. <laughs> um, pointing out how hard it is, of course, to get this uh-huh, right. Uh-huh. Now, of course, OpenOffice stuck around because it was put under the Apache Foundation, mm-hmm. and it's still there, right? If you go to Apache to OpenOffice, you will still find that. You will find no indication that there is basically that you're looking at a pretty much dead project, and that there's another one that's actually moving forward with a better product, as Frank mentioned. So this this is, of course, not a super easy ride. Um, at the same time. LibreOffice also shows that it works, right? I mean, there's a huge community around it. A lot of people working on it. And this is the ecosystem thing, again, that I mentioned. Multiple companies contributing to it and building something great together, right? There's business there, and it's working. So Google Trends, it shows on one hand how hard it is, yeah. but at the same time, it's working. Trends change, right? right? <laughs> so, so, Frank, uh, a little... A little yeah. insight, Frank. Into, so you've been with OwnCloud for a while. You've had you've been involved with projects before OwnCloud. Could you give us a little little taste of that? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm doing open source for I don't know how long. It must be close to twenty years now, maybe eighteen, nineteen years. So I wasn't got involved relatively early in KDE. At the beginning, I was just I don't know user, and then followed the mailing list and so on, and I got more and more involved into it and did like, I don't know, event organization and artwork and small fixes here and there. And then then also I built an open desktop org a network. Maybe some of you know kdlook.org or gnomelook.org. I did this for, I don't know, also over 10 years, long, long time, 15 years, I think, long time. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I did that. And I, I also always tried to build like great open source, mm-hmm. basically, Ideas, projects. I founded an open PC project, something not very, well, it was an interesting idea, and other companies <laughs> do this now, but at the time for, for this community, for this project, wasn't super successful. But I always tested different things and learned over time. And well, obviously, with, with own cloud and then now with Nextcloud, I think this is something which is just, which is just important. Yeah. It's more for me. It's more than open source. It's also about privacy and security and, and keeping your own data under control. Yeah, absolutely. I guess I, I want to ask you then, with those yeah. backgrounds and like you just said, the importance of own cloud, where you can really be the master of your own data and 
the popularity and recognition of OwnCloud, this seems like it's going to be definitely a blip on the history of open source radar, this particular fork. I think long term, this is going to be kind of a big deal. And I'm kind of curious what you guys think about the overall long term ramifications for open source. Yeah, I mean, this This is, of course, um, I mean, you see a lot of companies trying to do open source and a lot of different business models, right? Um, I mean, I talked recently about uh, about this stuff with the guys uh, who do Jenkins, um, open source bees or something. Yeah. I don't remember their name, but, um, you know, these guys have also tried multiple business models, right? And um, I mean, there's there's uh, GitLab, for example, they're trying these things. Um, a lot of different companies are trying a lot of different business models and, and to make this work. I mean, you have the Qt company that's doing Qt now. Uh, you have Collabora, of course, that's working on LibreOffice. And a lot of other companies are doing that too. And on one hand, you know, if you're looking for the $10 billion payout, you know, for the next Bill Gates... I don't think open source is an easy way of getting there. Let me put it that way. I mean, there's a billion dollar company, right? Red Hat. And a lot of people are being skeptical and saying, you know, look, you know, with open source, you, you okay, Red Hat, sure, they managed to do it. But nobody else is going to do this. This is not going to work. It's a business model that is just too hard to get right. And I get that, but it depends on what you're trying to do. If you are genuinely trying to build a sustainable, healthy company, I think it's possible because it is a business model that suits a long-term vision. You need to have a long-term vision to make it work. Mm. Yeah? If you don't have that, you're going to get in trouble some years down the line. You're going to be forced to make decisions that harm your customers and your users just to keep investors happy. You're going to be forced to make decisions that benefit your sales and, you know, forcing, for example, customers to buy stuff by not putting it in the open source edition, yeah. right? Short-term decisions that harm, in the end, your ecosystem, and in the end, the end result, which is the longevity of your company. Let me, let me explain this the same thing maybe with, with a few different words. I think that's a, that's a great point. If you said, yes, I said earlier, if you want to be the next Bill Gates, right? It's like, um, then... And it's also obviously this incentive of certain, I don't know, CEOs, venture capitalists, whatever, right? If the main goal is to become the next Bill Gates, then what you have to do is you have to keep all your properties under your control. You have to own the trademark, you have to own the code, you have to own the, the customer relations. You have yes. to um, you have to you have to be the only one who is doing enterprise apps, the only one who is writing support and so on and so on. And you have to maximize basically your own the, the, the IP and all the value of your enterprise. Um, and it's interesting. And this is obviously what also what Microsoft did, right? And obviously, well, Bill Gates is obviously freaking rich. <laughs> but, but, but interesting enough, there's, I think nowadays, an even bigger business, right? Which is like the Linux ecosystem, right? I mean, this is like half of the, of the machines, like all the phones and servers, everything running Linux now. And, and the incentive of, of Linux towards was not to own everything. In fact, but I think he owns the trademark, but it's not loosely protected. But beside that, he actually owns nothing. <laughs> but what he did, he built an ecosystem. There have lots of companies contributing it. There's Google building phones on it and Red Hat selling enterprise servers right. and so on and so on. It's an ecosystem. And this, at the end, can be a lot bigger. And I think it's very likely to be a lot bigger. But, but 
is compared with something that's only owned by one company. Mm-hmm. Maybe, I, I don't know what to compare ourselves, either with the Linus Torvalds or with Bill Gates, but I think opening up, opening this up to more partners, to more people, helps everybody at the end. Are you, is that, a, is that a way of saying this is not going to be a dual licensed project? This is going to be a single licensed project? Correct. Correct, yes. We are, we are killing the, the CLA. So, which means it's basically run in the same way as a normal open source project, where the where there is like shared ownership. Yeah. No and exclusivity for the company. No, no special unique position. I mean, obviously, we. I mean, the thing is, we are confident that we can give the best customer support because we have excellent people. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. Big yes. part of the code, but that is and always will have to be our only thing. No exclusivity on the trademark for commercial use or, or other shenanigans just because <laughs> you're not secure about, you know, your business. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. If you are certain about and this is what, what I was trying to say, you know, if you are trying to build an open source company, you know, you need to find other partners who understand this and are confident like you in this and are willing to open up and build an ecosystem because a rising tide, you know, lifts all boats. Sure. Yeah. yeah. And that, that is the vision you need to have. And if you don't have that, if you have people on board, investors on board who don't get that, you're not going to make it. That's mm. how I would put it. Man, guys, that makes me super excited for the future of the project. Uh, I cannot wait to watch where NextCloud goes. You know we're going to have to try it out here on the show and talk about it. So uh, stay in touch. Keep us in the loop. And uh, best of luck. If people want to check out the project, maybe get involved, is there a website you want to point them to? NextCloud.com. There you Absolutely. go. Go check it out. Joss, Frank, thank you guys very much, and uh, look forward to uh, seeing you guys at a fest soon. All right. Bye-bye. And that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. But, hey, Noah, before we get out of here, we have some great emails, uh, some that I will answer to from last week's behavior, and we have... Our segment sponsor, System76 at System76.com. This is where you go to get machines you don't have to futz with. Noah is just complaining on the uh, live stream about all of the issues that was Secure Boot and all of that stuff when he just has that spontaneous machine that someone's bought at Best Buy. And like, hey, Noah, can you help me with this? Sure, let's grab that. Oh, you got the Intel Compute Stick? Okay, that was us that time. Let's give that a try. And then it's Secure Boot just ruins everybody's fun. Uh, System76, it's not just that, though. They make great machines, laptops, desktops, and servers. The desktops, I think, are phenoms. I've had only, you know, like three of them, which for some of you might seem like a lot, but they make so many great machines, in my opinion. I think they should just send me all of the machines, all of them, Mm -hmm. especially the fast ones, all Mm -hmm. of them. So to me, it's not a lot. And Noah over there, he's got himself the Oryx, Mm -hmm. which is a desktop killer of a laptop. And you know who else recently got an Oryx? was uh, Mr. Leo Laporte, and he talked about it recently on uh, the Screensavers this weekend. I bought it for is my day-to-day show computer on the table, and what I wanted was a big screen. It's 17 inches. It's only 1080p, but that's fine. I want the text to be big. I want it to be legible. It's an IPS LCD screen, so it looks good. Uh, And it runs Linux beautifully, although if you join me, I'm running uh, the GNOME uh, operate desktop on here, uh, GNOME 3, and if if you join me for the unboxing on Wednesday, you might be surprised to hear me singing this computer's praises because it wasn't working so very well uh, when I took it out of the box. I did the OEM sign-up, and then I did something that I think is user error. But Linux allows you a lot of scope for yes, user error. 
I installed the GNOME desktop because I don't like U- Unity. And it asked me, and this is a very Linuxy thing to do, it asked me, well, all right, you now have two uh, login uh, uh, managers. You have LightDM and you have GDM3. Uh, Which would you like to use Uh-oh. without any hint that there was a bad choice? And I chose the bad one. I chose GDM3. Uh, I eventually thrashed the system, wasn't able to boot into it. And then, and this was a real frustration, I, you know, the nice thing about Linux, if you thrash a system, you make a USB key, you reboot. You, you know, before he goes on, I really like that he really he really gave this a try. Like, he yeah. troubleshot the heck out of this, and yeah. uh, he manages to, to pull it back. Here, I'll let him finish. He Wipe it. You start over again. It's a fast, probably the fastest install of any of the big three operating systems. Much faster than Windows and OS Good for 10. him. It just takes a couple of minutes, and you start over. Uh, I, I set it up, as many Linux users do, so that I have... All of my As configuration files on GitHub, so Listen it's a very him. easy thing for me to clone them and restore Listen the machine uh, back to its original uh, state. So, so this would have been a simple thing, except for a massive bug in Ubuntu 16.04, the shipping version of Ubuntu. Listen to this. Which, thank you, System76, uh, their gray beards, who aren't so old, but they are definitely gray beards, uh, said, oh, I know what's happening. There's a kind of obscure bug in uh, in uh, Linux, or actually one of the tools that's often used on Linux installs and certainly used by Ubuntu, uh, that it causes a bad interaction between a Skylake processor and the NVIDIA uh, 980M. Now, that's an unusual combination for most Linux machines. I had never run into it because I'm using older machines. He said, oh, this has been fixed in the latest version of uh, Ubuntu. Just download the daily build 16.04.1. Listen <laughs> to that. And it should all be fixed. And he was right. It did. And it, it installed. And GNOME's working great. The so I think that was Jason over at System76 that was yeah. helping him. Uh, and they yeah. did a great job. I'm glad Leo had a great experience with it. Uh, he's got a powerful machine. Now it'll be interesting to see if uh, there's an Oryx Pro on the table during some of the Twitch shows, like Mac Break Weekly. And I would just love that if that was on his, on his desk during Mac Break Weekly. So it's pretty cool. He's running a, he's running Ubuntu GNOME edition on there. Uh, we love System76, have for a long time, and think you'd have a great time if you want to try him out. And if you do get a little hung out to dry, if Google fails you, they have great support, too. So Raphael writes in as a follow-up to our discussion around uh, Oracle versus Google and the licensing of some of that Java APIs. He says, Hi there, I'm a fan of Jupyter Broadcasting for some time. I used Entergros for a month as my first long-term Linux desktop. He was previously a Windows 7 user. And even have a DO droplet for two months. My question about Oracle versus Google trial. It's hard to find, but I'd like to know what the licenses of the different types are. And he goes on to ask about the different licenses. And to have an, and I want to share some follow-up thoughts because a lot of you, a lot of you wrote in with feedback about my position last week on uh, Oracle versus Google. Just to quickly summarize my position, super quick. Um, <clears throat> I think that uh, I want to make sure it's clear I do not want I do not want the scenario where there's a precedent set that but that by Oracle that there was some sort of copyright around these APIs that could somehow affect a bunch of other open source projects. Whatever that doomsday scenario is that we're all worried about, I'm not for that. I'm not trying to advocate some doomsday scenario. What I'm simply trying to advocate or what I'm actually simply trying to ask the question of, I should say, is to me it seems like we have ourselves a pretty clear-cut case. It's going to go to retrial. And Google's probably going to lose just based on just both companies and negotiations. Now, a lot of you seem to be writing under the, the, the assumption when you write in that this is all Oracle's doing, that this is Oracle's evil plan, 
that Sun was totally okay with all of this and that this is only happening because Oracle swooped up and bought up all of Sun Microsystems, including Java. I think that's a false pretense or a false assumption to make. I think it's more likely that one of the very valuable assets of Sun Microsystems was the potential of this lawsuit. And one of the reasons Oracle bought Sun, amongst among many other things, was because of this lawsuit's pretty much slam-dunk nature. Because everybody's on the record, on both sides, saying they need a license. I'm not saying if that's right or wrong, and I'm not trying to advocate what should or shouldn't happen precedent-wise for APIs down the, in the future. What I'm trying to ask the question, and I'm simply just trying to ask the question, and I, what, why I got upset last week is because we're so busy advocating for Google because they claim to be free and open, even though in reality they're an advertising company, one in which I use many of their services. Their primary goal is not open-source software. Just look at the deal, for example, they did with Verizon that has now screwed up net neutrality in the U.S. years later. Watch TechSnap if you don't know what I'm talking about. They do not necessarily have the consumer, the general public's best interest at heart here. That's not a crazy position to take, and I'm not even saying it's necessarily right. I'm simply saying that if we come from the position that perhaps Google had ulterior motives here, i.e., we're going to use this and fight it in court later and make enemies along the way, which, by the way, is a direct quote from their emails, direct quote, if we come from the position that perhaps Google had ulterior motives here and that they are likely going to lose in a future retrial, if we accept those possibilities, which seem likely to me, then we have to ask the question, what precedent is now set for dual licensed software? Will any large company come in and say, well, yeah, I kind of ripped them off in some degree, and yeah, internally we all agreed that we were completely copying but fair use, right? I mean, what would stop Apple from doing that in the future when they need to, say, copy some version of Swift that's been forked or something from Microsoft? What would stop any other large company that has a team of lawyers sitting around tapping their fingers waiting for something to do? It seems to me what Google just proved is even when you get caught with your dick in your hand, you can still get away with it scot-free. You can literally say, we're going to rip this off and then fight them in court later because they're little guys and we're bigger than them. Except for they didn't expect Oracle to come along, who's huge and has a great law, legal team, which we could argue how great they really are, but from the perspective of industry, has a great legal team. They come up, swoop up Sun, and now they go after Google. You don't think that they saw this all along? See, you, come at the, you have to come at this from a perspective of perhaps Google made a mistake here, too. I could be wrong as well. And I wouldn't want any other precedent regarding the copyright of the APIs to be set either. But I feel like that's already been done. I, I, if you look at previous uh, precedents and, and cases, it, it seems like that's already happened. I, that's the other thing I don't understand. It seems like that case, that precedent has already been made. So a lot of you wrote in and a lot of you apparently were extremely disappointed. Apparently, I crapped on your front yard and murdered your cat while I was there. Uh, and some of you advised not watching this episode of the show or that episode of the show because it was so bad. And I apologize if I upset you about it. However, if you do re reply... Could we not have a conversation about if the APIs were copywritten or not? Could we go past that point? Because that's what everybody's answering. And could we, could we discuss the possibility of what happens if Google loses this thing ultimately and what happens if they win this thing ultimately? In regard specifically to dual license projects. It seems like if they lose, it's actually a good thing for dual license projects. And if they win, it seems like a bad thing for dual license projects. And right now, they're in the win column. Now, maybe I'm wrong, but if you could answer that specific part of my question and not actually retread the entire court case and what, what Google did and what Oracle did, 
if we could just avoid all of that pretext and specifically discuss that aspect, that's where I would like to get to. And I don't really feel like any of the feedback last week particularly addressed those questions. So that's my extremely long answer to Raphael's question. So uh, with that, Andrew writes in and he says, Hi, Chris and Noah. After seeing your last episode with the low-cost Linux machines here in the UK, I wanted to show you this. And he links us to computerbank.org.au. Computerbank is a nonprofit volunteer-run community group in Melbourne, Australia. They take old computers that have been thrown away or donated, wipe them, and breathe new life into them with, you guessed it, a Linux desktop. Then they sell them for as low as $30, sorry, $22 U.S., to refugees, low-income earners, uh, pension, pensioners? I wonder if that's supposed to be prisoners. No, Community it's got to be pensioners, right? For people that pension. are on pensions, you know, like oh, uh, retirement. Okay. Sure. Pensioners, community group, or people or groups who otherwise wouldn't be able to afford this kind of computer. How much do you love this? This isn't just for people in Melbourne, but thousands of computers have been shipped across the community to places like Soma, Papua, New Guinea, Indonesia, where they otherwise couldn't have affordable computers. So, you know, we thought we'd bring a, shed a little bit of light onto stuff like this. And, you know, the reality is if I had more time, I would love to participate. You would. Or, I know you or, would. Or, or create something. And I, you know, and the thing is, like, I do a really crappy, ver- well, I do like a half, 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 haphazard version of this. No, you do I like just, a snipe attack version of this. Like you, get, right. yeah. <laughs> yeah, where I'll just, I'll buy a computer and then I'm like, oh, you need a Linux computer? Well, here, have this. Like, that's my iteration of it. I, it would be great if I could formalize that process. But I think people that do this kind of thing are really cool. So we wanted to shed some light on it. So, so computerbank.org.au. Well, here's my plan, Noah. This is a long-term plan. Okay. So don't worry. Don't freak out when I say this. But when Airbnb finally destroys the hospitality industry in Grand Forks, North Dakota, and you finally move out here and move into an RV with me, in uh, the Pacific Northwest, uh, when we do LUP, we'll do uh-huh. an actual lug, and during that lug, we'll be switching people's. Com- we'll do we'll do a meetup where we switch people's computers. So don't worry, you're eventually going to get there. It's okay. just going to be a little bit of a journey first. I'm Our welcome. last email is a follow up to uh, Etcher. Uh, Etcher was the uh, app pick last week. Uh, Goran J writes and says, "Hello, Chris and Noah. On the last episode of last, you mentioned Etcher, a great tool to burn Linux ISOs to USB drives and make them bootable. That's all great, but." Burn a whole U. Who burns a whole USB for one ISO nowadays? Anyways, it's kind of a waste of a USB with USB keys being so cheap these days. I want to be able to. Hi Noah. Hi. What? Hi. Hi Noah. I no, I just I'm me. I do that. I do that. Oh. I, I do that. <laughs> yeah, it's like you're like hi. What? You're like waving over there. What's going on? Uh, Sixty four gig USBs and blah blah blah. So it goes. So the main question is an open source tool out there. Is there an open source out tool out there that creates a multi boot USB that will actually work? I tried some acts like Yumi and Xboot. But some of the ISOs I put on the USB won't boot or give me image not found error. Also, will UEFI prevent such multi-boot loaders to run properly from USB? Your thoughts, Noah? What do you think about this one? I have not run into anything, but I, I have not run into anything, and that's kind of why the feedback's there. Is if anyone else knows of anything, you know, we can share it with the group. But I, so <laughs> he acknowledges that USB flash drives are inexpensive and but readily available, shouldn't waste and them. then goes up. Yeah, and I know. Go, I thought that was funny, too. Why want to have a bunch of ISOs on what? Yeah. Like, why would you want to do that? It, the, the thing is, I can buy a, a five-pack of USB drives at Best Buy for like $3 or you $4. Know, or I'll tell you like what about it. I'll, okay, so I, I'll just answer this question because I'll tell you what. I, I, it does, I find it annoying, well, you too. You know of something? Yeah, well, oh. they, uh, this oh, little – Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I've talked about it a long time ago. It's this uh, – I think yeah. it's a – yeah, it's a Zalman. Uh, and uh, it's a Zalman a USB 3 hard drive, and it's in a nice metal case. Actually, this is really well built, actually. Uh, and it, you simply just slide a drive in there. I have a, a solid state drive because I, I like it. It's just a 
<clears throat> old Evo 120 gig. Plenty to throw many, many ISOs on. And you throw the ISOs on the drive, you put them in the sled, and then in the firmware, once the drive gets power, you can select all the ISOs on the LCD screen. You can toggle through all the ISOs on the drive, and then you push down on the little selector, and Mm. it shows up to the computer, the host computer, as a USB CD-ROM using that ISO image. And it has the speed of this 120 gig SSD over USB 3. Right. This is so. This is what I usually tend to do is try to have the latest crop of ISOs that I'm using. Now, honestly, these days I mostly just load Anagros. <laughs> but when we're in heavy review season, like we have a we have a new Fedora review coming up, I might actually end up putting on this just because it's faster. Now, because I don't even have to DD it, right? I just simply copy the freaking ISO image over over USB three, and it copies at like 125 megs a second. So it's mm-hmm. it's super nice. Downside, huge freaking downside to this almond thing, uh, and I, it's, it's, it's uh, for those of you looking, it's the uh, model ZM VE three hundred. Major downside to the son of a gun. If you want to have files that are larger than two gigs, which many ISOs are, the drive has to be formatted in NTFS. That's what the firmware supports. And also, I believe another little thing that I was reading about those is that they they it has to be defragged every so often, mm. which can't be done. Either under Linux, so you either blow it away. That's what I do. Re- I've yeah. I've formatted this thing many times. Uh, basically, when I have a whole, when I'm all done, uh, when I'm all done with that crop of ISOs, I just tend to format it. You know, if I worked in an industry where I tried a bunch of distros all the time on my machines, that'd be one thing. But frequently, what it is, you know, at least in our practice, is hey, I have to run over to XYZ and install CentOS. Hey, I'm going to run over to ABC yeah. and I'm going to install it. Yeah, and yeah. so I literally have a pack of flash yeah, drives. Yeah. I just, oh, we need that one, and we just take them to different places. And last time I came to Washington, I brought my Antergos drive with me so that if I needed to reload Antergos on anything, we would have it. Right, you did. You just and came I used it prepared. Twice. You know, yeah. the uh, chat room's talking about. About a, uh, a solution where you just use Grub to boot from ISOs, that'd be interesting to uh, that'd be interesting to play with. I got to look into that too because that could be we could do a how to on that maybe. It's got it's got to be easy, simple, and straightforward. Because if it's a big, complicated process, I'll just I just th- I'll just make one last pitch. I really think that we are overcomplicating and uh, a very simple problem. Just if you have a couple flash drives, just yeah, DD an image onto it, boot off of it. All just, right, but put this in your possible how to list for the future. Because I okay. think we need. Right. To, I think we've talked about it before. Netboot.xyz. We've talked about this once before. I think we should potentially do a full uh, tutorial on it. So put that in the bank. Okay. Okay. You got it. Netboot.xyz. Boom. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast. I will try to put a link to that Zalman drive in the show notes too, if you guys are looking for that. Uh, if you have other suggestions for a particular uh, particular to these questions, uh, linuxactionshow.reddit.com and look for episode 420 of The Big Show, and there will be a feedback thread there. You can also submit content for the show at that subreddit, like news stories or open source projects. We have a big episode planned uh, for, uh, is it next week? It is next week, right? Huge episode plan, like probably the biggest episode that has ever been aired in the history of JP. So if there was ever a weekend to make it live. Yeah, I would like, make it live next work, week. Yeah. You know, you know, whatever yeah. you have to do, move across the country, yeah. doesn't matter. Yeah. But you need to be there live. It'll be our 10th anniversary, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar for the lifetime in your local time zone. And then jblive.tv is where you watch it. And jblive.fm is where you listen to it if you're on the road or something like that. So we'd love to see you live. If you can make it, be a fun episode. And it might just be worth your time. You never know. Linux Action Show will be live every single Sunday from here on out until the end of time. But it is our 10th one next time. Actually, that's not true. We may move it from time to time. I shouldn't say that because everything changes. 
But you always know at the calendar page. But, also, always, but yet it stays the same. JupiterBroadcasting.com slash contact is where you go. If you want to send an email into the show, you just choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. I'm at Chris LAS, which is kind of a newish account. So if you haven't followed me for a while, go over there and uh, follow me because I set up a new account at Jupiter Signal for the network. And Mr. Kernel Linux, which is Noah, at Kernel Linux. That's right. You can see a collection of my USB flash drives, which I just put inside of the... <laughs> yeah, you did. Nice. Nice. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. And we'll see you right back here next week. Uh, it is so out there. It's I just should, like so big. I should probably get probably more. One of those you know what? You know, it seems like Smoke weed people. every day. I think Colonel Linux is a smoker. That's what I think. I just think he only does it there in Grand Forks where they get crazy. All right, here mm-hmm. we go. Smoke weed every day. I'll be right back, all right? Okay. So all right, you all just right. sit there and chat with them about... Uh, you know, Gimp. your things that you guys... Google Mind Control. Those things that you Linux users talk about. Smoke weed every day. I have basically decided, like, now, I, I kind of thought this before, but, like, I have a whole bunch of ideas on how we can replace your Hughes lights. Whoa, really? Tell yeah, me about no. this. Yeah. You could do, you could do, like, way cool... The out of night, all the, I was, like, you know, out of all of the things... You know what yeah, I mean? I like, out like of all the, the things, that's not yeah. really... That's not really I, what I'm... Yeah, I, I know. I, that's true. That's true, and I understand that. But, but because you just use your phone, you don't have to use any nonsense to control it. But uh, I was the other night. Like the the thing that is so cool about all this stuff is I keep coming up with random creative ideas, and then Linux just lets them go right into practice. So I was like, in between this set, I want everything to be the ultra speed color. So I look up because we have a very specific shade of orange that we use on the website, and I pull that out and I put that RGB into the computer, and boom, the whole room turns that color. And I'm like, oh, this is so cool. That is cool. I like Freaking that. Little. Yeah. Smoke weed every so, day. So, Twomp, I will not, uh, I, I am totally out on any sort of LED light if, uh, yeah, no, I, 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 hold on, one thing at a time, concentrate, no, do not let ADD take over your life. Uh, Twomp, I am totally out on, on any sort of LEDs unless it's DMX compatible, because DMX compatible means I can control it with Linux, and it means <clears throat> that, basically, I like, I think uh, what it is, is I really like standardization and 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 modularization if that's a word if it's not i made it up so if if you have like my favorite thing in the world a a great example of this is like rack mount stuff you get a generic rack that has six u's in it uh units to, to mount things in and i the top u could be a switch or it could be a router or it could be a punch panel or it could be a drawer or it could be a cable manager or it could be an audio amplifier or you know whatever it or a mixer or a compressor or whatever it just everything is this standard modular unit and so it allows you to like take components out of like a totally separate part of my business i can take stuff out of the uh, out of our dj rack and come bring it here into the studio where i do you know the Linux action show and, and put it into that rack, and I can I, I like that modularization, and so they have uh, ooh YouTube video, and so they have um, DMX allows me to I can set everything up inside of software and say I want these lights to do this and these lights to do that and those lights to do this, and then if I if a light ever breaks or I decide I don't like it or if I want to upgrade it to a brighter light or whatever it is, I just take that one light out and replace it with a newer better light and. Every all of those scenes, everything, all fifty of those scenes, all fifty of those chases, they all still work because it was modular. I could just swap that one part. I love stuff like this.